hope you're hungry. The table is set. Join us for another cosmic feast. first episode on our brand new podcast. We're so excited to have you here today. I'm your head butcher, David, and this is this is the other This is butcher. the sous chef Sydney. This is the sous chef Sydney. We're we're cooking up some some prime tenderloins tonight. We hope you join us. <laughs> so the very 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 first book and subject yes. and writer that we're going to cover First space adventure. Where is it going to take us, Sydney? What's the book called? David here signed me this beautiful book called Passport to Magonia. All right. Um, let me let me get the uh, the name of the author. His name is Jacques Vallee. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, well, sounds well, French. Jack Jack Jacques Vallee or Vallee. Yeah. Jacques Vallee. There's no accents. Adieu. So I just assumed it was Vallee. Vallee. Jacques Vallee. Jack Valley. Um, yeah, Jack Valley and the Passport to Magonia. So the only things that I know about Jack Valley is, first of all, up there with John Keel as being like one of the main fathers of like ufology that's still extremely relevant today. Okay. The only thing I know about him, this is going to trip you out. Have you ever seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the <sighs> Steven Spielberg movie? Um, the one he made before E.T. Yeah, I think I've seen parts of it and I know what you're talking about, but I cannot say like, yeah, I've seen that movie. So in that movie, you have to watch it. It's so cute. Well, this guy has a close encounter of the third kind. Uh, there's they parallel show you these scientists who are studying the phenomenon. And then eventually the main character comes in contact with the scientists. And one of the main scientists in Steven Spielberg's film is this French scientist. Oh. And that French scientist in what like the, the movie that made Spielberg famous is Jack. It's based on Jack Vallée and Jack really? work. Oh, OK. Yeah. The same character name or just like a loose base? I don't think it's the same character name. Uh, but yeah, so basically we have somebody who's uniquely famous in the UFO world. And he's uniquely, not only is he famous, but he's uniquely respected because I think he's, I mean, think about it. Spielberg was, is probably knows him. Like he's, he's wrote all these books and he's not regarded as some batshit crazy person because I think he also, I think he also worked for the government, but Spielberg, um, no, Jack's delay. (laughs) Um, so, all right. So, so hit me. What, what, uh. So how do you want to start? Yeah, how, okay. What was your I mean, impression yeah, I'll, I'll, of the book? Right. Um, so Passport to Magonia, like like David said, it's kind of like an introductory book to ufologists. And like um, uh, half the book, which I so gratefully discovered, is just um, a list of sightings in the last 100 years. And that was like dating to whenever the book was written. It was like 1960. Nine. How much did you celebrate when you realized? Oh that? my God, like so much. I got, I, I was telling David a couple weeks ago when I had gotten, I was reading, he was like, How far are you in reading? And I was like, Well, I got to page 170. And then I realized everything through the end of the book, which is like almost 400 pages, 
after page 170 is just paragraphs of sightings and they're all listed in like chronological order and they show all the like locations and just like a very basic like one or two sentence description of the sighting and it's like wow and um, i mean mind you i i skimmed through them and i like picked out some that seemed like interesting and i did a little more research on them based on that but i i wasn't gonna like sit there and read 200 pages of just paragraph of sighting so so it's it's kind of like a reference yeah. part of, so half of the book is kind of like a reference book kind of basically yeah, like yeah, if, yeah if you study if you study cases this would just be a useful thing to have around right it definitely yeah just case studies and and honestly the first 170 pages are kind of written like that too it's like every paragraph is just a new story that he's telling me um, and then somehow like bringing that there's five chapters and he's just bringing every chapter in at the end being like, and here is how we had to start to go on to the next chapter. And so it's like he they're in a certain order, but it's it's really written like it's like old English style. Like it's just the phrasing is it was not easy to read, I have to say. And I was like, what? Oh, really? it, it took this guy like six, six paragraphs just to be like, and here's the intro to my book. And it was like. Bitch, you could have said that in yeah. one sentence. <laughs> so is he, well, let me ask you this. So he's not an easy writer to read. Um, is he, is he a good writer? Is it fun? Does he, does he write well? Is he interesting to read? Yeah. I mean, th th there were parts that were intriguing, but again, like I said, the book is written like a, the whole thing is written like a case study. So most of the parts where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm now interested. It's because he is like, uh, quoting a story that was from some other reference or from that was told to him by mouth, you know, and it, it, it's less about like, here's some information and more like, oh, here's an actual story and listen to my story. <laughs> um, so th those are the parts that I was more engaged. So he's basically um, a scientist. Mm -hmm. He's not like a novelist. Right, exactly. He's not, he's not a freaking, he's not freaking, you know, Tom Clancy no. trying to get you <laughs> super excited about quantum you know, physics and... <laughs> rainbow rainbow starships you know <laughs> um he's he's just some dude who's like and I, and you know what's it's so funny to read books written by these researchers because they're just like so they're just like all right yeah yeah they're like listen I, I guess let me just give you the facts and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna bother with the right. the beauty of storytelling but what's really impressive about this guy is that he you can tell how dedicated he was to the work because he was like I'm taking all of the pre prior information that we know about something that may or may not even be true. He he doesn't even take a stance on how he feels about UFOs, which which I think is kind of cool. He's more of just like, I'm the mediator and you can think whatever you want to think. I'm not sharing my personal opinion. I'm not putting any of my own experiences behind any of these stories. I am simply here to relay information to you all in one book. So what, what he did was he combined stories from all over the world ancient stories to modern stories um really? like stories from south america and europe and africa and uh, america he he traveled all around america to collect stories from people like just going door to door which is pretty amazing and like just collecting all these stories and like getting dates down and like definitely wow. in researcher fashion so like i i can admire his work in that sense but it was not fun well, to it's a <laughs> It's a it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to put together a podcast like talking about this. Yeah. Can you imagine how much work a researcher puts into their I can't research? Even, no. I mean, I can't even dude, I can't happens. I can't even handle like handle one errand a day. <laughs> like and everything 
even going to the grocery store, I'm like, this is going to take time to get there. It's going to take yeah. time to get back. Yeah. Like, this is going to take the whole day. Can you imagine, like, how many days somebody like this has to spend driving yeah. Yeah. to, like, one of these people yeah. and getting the story and then having lunch in some weird town? And, <laughs> um, Speaking of weird towns, um, all of the cases in the second half of the book, I was I was skimming them. But, like, as someone who grew up in Iowa, I, I always, like, that's a trigger word for me, the word Iowa. So, like, I can pick it out of a Beep. whole page. Yeah. So, um, I like, every page that I flip to, there are so many cases that happened in Iowa. They even put, he even put a map at the end wow. of the book of just the, the, a map of the U.S. of all the cases in the last hundred years. And they were so concentrated to the upper Midwest region. Like, um, more of them happen in Indiana and Illinois than in Iowa. But I was just really amazed to see wow. how many of them were from Iowa. And I was like, Jesus, this is, oh. Which, which part of Iowa are they concentrated so in? So they're, they seem to be mostly like in. I'm looking at, I'm looking at a map of oh, Iowa. Okay. So. Oh, okay. So they're, they're kind of in the, I mean, it, the map of Iowa is pretty simple. It's, it's basically a square with like a little bubble on the right hand side. And uh, most of the cases happened in like the northeast and the uh, and the northwest parts of Iowa um, with with a few here or there in the center and, and south center. But so but but is, is it in the north or is it in the south? North, northeast and northwest. Oh, That's where most of them happened. Yeah. Um, but I grew up in the Southwest and there were like no cases there. There was like one or two. There was one in like Lincoln, which is in Nebraska, but kind of over by the Southwest part of Iowa. Um, but, but yeah, so most of them were in the, in the North Northeast Northwest portion of Iowa. Don't you think that's kind of special that this book like touches upon your home state in like a very personal way? Exactly. That's why I was kind of like, wow, this is, it's like, it's like, did David know this before he signed the book to me? <laughs> no, but the universe did. Did David, did David did. pick me because I'm from Iowa? And he's like, oh, she must have had an alien sighting. She'll be interested in my I podcast. need someone from <laughs> Iowa. I just wake up. I wake up in a cold sweat one night and I'm like, <laughs> I need a girl from Iowa. <laughs> oh, shoot. Sydney, um, what... Towns are we talking about here that were affected by encounters? So do, you, do you have like a short list? Of, I don't. Just, can you just name? Can you just name <laughs> one or two or no? Um, Fairfield. That's that's one that I remember. Um, Fort Dodge was another one, um, but I did not write them down. I just kind of inhaled them. No, no, no. But no, 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 no. But that's exactly what I wanted. But because I had, there's so much Fort more Dodge. interesting stuff to talk about than all the small towns in Iowa where sightings happened. Because none of the sightings <laughs> in Iowa were that okay. exciting either. They were just like, oh, I saw a shooting star, but it kind of hovered in the air. Cool. Uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna so tell me. Tell me. I'm gonna tell you. Um, tell me. <laughs> So the first like chapter of the book was, uh, like I said, kind of like an intro of why he wrote this book and why he put all this information together. And he kind of just uh, touches on like basis, the basis of like where um, the, the the first UFO sightings were recorded. And this was back in like ancient right. times in like Mesopotamia. They have records of this where uh, where they referred to something like an earthenware vessel. That's like a term that was used in a lot of the a lot of the um, stories. Earthenware vessel, which I thought was kind of cool. An earthen, earthen, an earthenware vessel. Uh-huh. It sounds like something from Crate and Barrel that happens to exactly, fly in the sky. Exactly. It was yes, and I think that's because when when you know ancient history, they're like their um, their ceramics and stuff that they would make were made out of clay, and so it was kind of you know like the 
earthen earthenware plate is what they're referring to the thing that they saw in the sky. So I thought that was interesting. Um, basically, I'm just going to like skip around and talk about things that really stuck out for me, because as someone who is like not uh, knowledgeable in this area, I wanted to pick out things that, that, that I learned. Um, <clears throat> another funny thing that I noticed while I was reading the book, and I don't know if this is because I just had like an online an ebook version. It, it kind of like jumbled some of the letters in, in the PDF like layout. Um, and it, it put like foreign, uh, symbols in, in some of the words, like, like I'm, like I'm telling you, it looked like alien lettering. And, and at one point as, as I was reading, I was like, man, is this intentional? Because it's really kind of freaking me out. And it, it, it wouldn't even make sense. Why did, would, why did this happen though? Because you were putting the PDF where? No, no, I have no idea why it happened. I just assumed it's because it's a PDF version of the book. Like it had, it like some, had some issues transferring, to the mobile version. I have no idea. Oh. But but yeah, there's like weird alien symbols all throughout the whole book. And and sometimes you'll go like several pages without anything. And then like one page will just be full of symbols. And you're like, I can't even read this. <laughs> it's just symbols. Maybe that maybe maybe that was intentional by whoever. That's what put I was thinking, there? is that after it kept happening, I was like, maybe they're doing this on purpose to be like aliens. <laughs> Somebody was just screwing with the readers, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or either that or it was just like a simple formatting thing. Right. Um, but it doesn't sound simple at all. It sounds like one of those synchronicities or coincidences yeah. that we've been experiencing. It's definitely, yeah, like you said, the synchronicity. I like that. But anyway, um, some other terms and things that I learned from the book that I that I didn't know before that I thought were pretty interesting is that um, as he was talking about ancient uh, stories and sightings of these earthenware vessels, a lot of them, a lot of the recorded stories came from Europe because that's where they like record they they recorded stuff long before any other continents did at the time so a lot of our history stories all came from europe um so especially like in ireland there's um tons and tons of stories about little folk and we have come to interpret that as like what we now know as like elves and fairies and leprechauns and stuff like that but but um the 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 way that the ancient irish folk would talk about it was, was that it, it included everything that was unearthly underground parallel universe it was all known as what they called the gentry which i think is a really cool oh. name i don't know if you know anything about the gentry no that's that's so cool yeah the so uh, i've never heard that uh -huh. term before. that was um that was the term for the little folk that basically live look how look how excited you are by a cool <laughs> word i love it you're like the gentry and our, our eyes our eyes both sparkle <laughs> Mm. Cosmic sparkle. <laughs> Cosmic sparkle. <laughs> I'm so sweaty. Well, Woo. Okay. Woo. <laughs> um, um, anyway, back to the gentry. Um, so this is an Irish slash European term for little folk. Um, and they would group alien sightings and like uh, otherworldly beings into this group as well. Um, uh, one of my one of my favorite quotes that I picked out of like a passage that Jacques was talking about was that um, this guy, uh, this Irish guy was making a lot of recordings of every time he would like have a little sighting and like describing all the different types of the gentry that there are. Um, and he, there's one line that he referred to that said, uh, they live like us unless they're mocking us. <laughs> 
and I really liked that because because it was it was like from everything he could tell in his research, it seemed like their lives mirrored ours. But he was like, maybe they're just putting on a show to make it look like, oh, these silly humans. If if we just act like them, they won't think that we're a threat. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, there, you know, you know what? Um, I've heard stories of the, they call it the Fae folk, also where there's like a little elf creature, right? Mm-hmm. And he 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 has like clothes, and he like the person who sees this little creature will see him like with a cup of tea or whatever. But the little creature really doesn't know how to drink the tea, and he really doesn't normally use clothes, so yeah. it's like. They, they they can sort of appear like us, but they, they have this sort of special um, curiosity and, and disorientation with what we do. Because think about it, if if we were to mirror like another uh, another creatures or species ways, we wouldn't necessarily know how to do everything they do. Right, right, We right. wouldn't necessarily know how to drink tea. I don't even know how to drink tea, you know, because I'm not from... <laughs> I'm not even from, I'm not from England or from Japan, you know, like we wouldn't necessarily know how to uh, play the part. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Like they wear they wear their pants on the head and you're like, hey, something's off about you. <laughs> totally. We're totally. on to you. <laughs> so so is he saying that um, uh, aliens were labeled with like fairies and yes. stuff at that time? Yes. It's all sort of or that the people believe they all come from the same source. Um. That's a good question. It could be a little bit of both, but um, they didn't have a term for aliens at that time. It was just there were people in the sky, people on the ground and people in the woods, and they categorized them as the gentry. Wait, can you say that again? People in the sky, sky. people on the ground, people in the woods. People on the ground, people in the woods, people in the sky, people on the ground, people in the woods. Sorry. Forgive me. Oh, um, and uh, there's an there's another like uh, category categorization 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 whatever. There was categories from the medieval times, um, and they they had grouped the same thing. They didn't call them the gentry; they called them the wealth, which I thought was also interesting because um, looking up like the where the term gentleman came from is like someone who who uh, like rules the household and, you know, takes care of the wealth and takes care of everyone else. So that's that's like the true definition of a gentleman. So I thought gentry in comparison to the wealth, which was the medieval term for all these um, creatures, was pretty interesting. The medieval cultures called this stuff the wealth? The wealth, yeah. So in folklore... That's so trippy. mm -hmm, The wealth, yeah. So it was all folklore, like all of the... um, Elves and fairies and, you know, everything like that. And then also the, the sylph. And the sylph, S-Y-L-P-H, was part of the wealth. And those are the ones who specifically inhabit the air. They were called the sylph. Um, so Whoa. then that, that was just one category, the wealth. And then the other three categories are souls of the dead. So that would be like ghosts, right? Paranormal. Uh, right. Demons. So that would be thing, you know, creatures from hell that are Pult- like poltergeist. Right, yeah. Right. Like still still earthly beings, but they're coming from uh, somewhere else on our earth. And then also the angels, gods and spirits of the elements. So there's. So, yeah, there's there's different categories of entities, basically. Right. Right. Exactly. So I thought it was pretty interesting that the wealth included fo- like all that we know about um, historic folklore, but the sylph as well. Um, those who inhabit the air. Uh, 
Very impressive. Yeah. These, so, words are, these words are very interesting. Good. Yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> um, so then uh, that was like all chapter one. He was talking about all like ancient, ancient record recordings of all this stuff and like where it came from and how we categorize it today. Um, and then after that, like pretty much the next three chapters were just like really intricate, um, detailed happenings of like occurrences all over the world and and synchronicities within that um so one specific one was like on the date of november 6 1958 um there were two reportings of like an attempted dog abduction from outer space one of the abductions happened in tennessee and one of them happened in new jersey and i remember like reading them and the, the first one in tennessee was like this little boy um was calling for his dog to come inside for the night and he heard his dog barking in the distance so he went out to go find his dog and his dog and like a bunch of the neighbor's dogs were all barking around this like egg-shaped thing that was sitting out in a field and uh the one of the creatures that came out of the egg-like thing was like hi we need to borrow your dog for some studies is that okay and the little kid was like no and then they took off (laughs) yeah a little kid would be like no dude you can't take my best friend (laughs) do you know anything about dogs and little boys (laughs) And then um, similarly, the one in New Jersey was like a woman who her dog just would not stop barking. And then she let it out and it became silent all of a sudden. And it was there was like a red light out that she could see in her backyard. And she went out to look at it. And there was like this red light coming down to her dog. And before it like happened, she got really scared. And so she called her dog inside and the dog like wouldn't move. And she went out there and she grabbed him and brought him inside. And so it was like two, two really weird coincidences they happened on the same night two different states but they were both like reported of having some sort of light come down from the sky that was basically trying to abduct their dog so this happened on the same day yeah in same both day. places mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huh. so then i i it kind of i like put down the, the book at that point and i kind of thought about it and i was like it made me go back to that thing like um that the irish man said about like they live like us unless they're mocking us and i was kind of wondering like maybe maybe they're playing a game that like that that from outer space that like like some sort of scavenger hunt where they were like all right the first alien ship or you know they don't call themselves aliens sorry so okay the first ship of you guys that's, who can that's <laughs> interesting what do they call go themselves down. what what do they That's call themselves? Yeah. What do they call themselves? I mean, we call know? ourselves humans, but to other worldly creatures, we would be aliens. So whatever, whatever their term is for us, it's like the others. And yeah. for them, it's like the norm. Yeah, exactly. Right. So they're playing some sort of a game where who can who can kidnap the dog first? It well, some so you know, it might not be a game, but more so for like a scientific experiment or something. Cause I as far as I can read, like most of the stories that I read, any signs of abduction were simply for experimentation. It wasn't for fun, it wasn't to do evil, it was just to like figure out who we are as a race and like if we're capable of things that could be termed as a threat to it's not an it's not an emotional thing it's 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 i don't like the word cold but i mean when you're talking about this stuff it it is does lean in that direction but basically it's just it's not an emotional thing it's a scientific thing it's 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 you know it's like as joe rogan always says it's the same as like us studying like monkeys or (laughs) or 
insects or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no, yeah, there's no emotion behind it. We're just simply trying to learn. Well, that's the question this stuff postulates. The, the answer as to why and what they're studying Mm -hmm. is vastly complex. Right. Right. That kind of takes me on to my next point, um, which is while I was reading about all these specific case studies, it seemed like the only time that aliens otherworldly creatures were making landings was for two reasons for experiments or for um maintenance like their ship like it has an issue and they they had to land they didn't want to but they had to land because they they were having a, a ship issue and i read a lot about that and and Another weird thing is like, why the heck do aliens love farmers so much? Because all of these landings <laughs> are in the middle of a field out by a oh farmer and like only one person sees them. And I mean, the answer is probably like, why land in a city where tons of people would witness your landing when you can land like in a remote exactly. spot? If you're doing it in a city, then you're making a statement. If you're right. doing it, if you're doing it in a farm, you can get away with it. Yeah. Basically. But also like, then that brings up the question of how many times do they land like in a in a forest or something where, you know, if a tree falls in a forest, but no one's there to hear it, did it really happen? Like, did the alien really land there if we didn't see it? Um, so I'm, I'm just wondering if there's been tons and tons of other landings that we just have no record of. I think it happens all the time. Not only... Do we not have records of it? But I, I believe that, um, and and unlike you, I mean, I, I have a little bit of experience reading about this stuff yeah. and, and being being a fan of the subject, but not really that much where I'm at all like, um, like an expert or anything, but enough to have formulated my own opinions on the subject. Okay. And, and I will hopefully not allow my opinions to color uh, the degree of objectivity that we exercise. But yeah. at the same time, I mean, I'll flatly just tell you that um, I'm pretty sure that these entities, and there's a lot of different kinds of them, but they have their own bases. They're, they have their own bases underwater. They have their own bases in the earth, yeah. interdimensionally. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that they have their own relationship with the planet, and it's gone back many, many hundreds of maybe millions of years. So... Not only do they have their own relationship with the planet, but I don't know what Jack Vallee says, but John Keel, my my favorite dude, um, <laughs> who we will get to, happens to also say that it's very possible that they're as old and as tied to the earth as we are. Yeah. And they're, they're just a natural part of this earth also. So mm-hmm. some of them might not even be from another planet. They are, this is their home also. That's interesting thought. Like, why do they why do they have ships that can go up into the sky then and disappear? Is that is that to just travel to different parts of the Earth quicker, or do they really go out of the atmosphere? That's a very very good question um, because one of the things in in John Keel's seminal UFO book, uh, one of the things that he talks about is which is Project I think it's Project Trojan Horse. Well, it's a massive book, but one of the things he brings up is is actually what you just touched upon, which is that it's a little bit impractical to imagine that these creatures are that these I don't know what to call them these folks 
that these these guys the gentry. are. It's impractical to imagine that they're carrying out all these stealth operations and all this stuff and going back and forth between star systems. Right. Like the idea that they would go back and forth, the amount of. But this is assuming they have to spend fuel and resources and all this stuff. And maybe they do to some degree, obviously not to the rudimentary degree that we need to in order to fuel a plane or something. But if they're like, it's so impractical to imagine them pulling off all these hijinks, like to imagine them spending the money and the time to try to kidnap like little dude's dog, like when <laughs> when they have to go so far and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that is the question. Unless they're, what, what was your term? Mocking us. Unless they don't really look like that and they're not really going those distances. Yeah. Which I think that, the, I think the answer to that varies because I do think that sometimes they are from another system and I do think sometimes they are from ours. Sometimes they could just be like, and a more a super intelligent, really talented little amorphous blob that happens to be good at shape shifting and plays hooky from blob like high school and like just uh, messes around with people. No, I I think that's you're totally on to something because that's that's kind of the idea that I that I pulled from the book, which wasn't something that I originally thought was that the things the the things and creatures and things that we see here on Earth could be connected to the things that we are assuming are coming from what is outside of earth as well. It could, they could all be connected, which, which is why, again, I think that whole like idea of the gentry and the wealth is really interesting to me because they never separated them as being a different race or, you know, being, they were kind of like, well, they're all in the same realm where they're real creatures. They exist. And it's like, are they here? Are they coming from there? You know, there was, there was no definition. That's interesting because there is this sense when you talk about folklore that yeah. they they own cultures own their own fo- folklore. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not us and them. It's like this is a part of our this is a part of our history. Yeah. This is a part of our our life in in like especially like if you look at Native American cultures like this they they would look at sacred sites and sacred places and they would they would say like this place is theirs or right. or this this place we don't go into or this place we owe respect to yeah. because it's acknowledging that you're at the doorstep of someone else's home also yeah that's a great point there was a lot of stories about that too where like i was saying that any any time that there seemed to be a, a, a an an otherworldly landing it was because there was a problem with the ship um, and it wasn't like they were trying to do harm or they were trying to like explore the world. It was like they had, a, they, they were landing because something needed to be fixed on the ship. And so there was like countless tales of like a tract, uh, uh, sorry, a farmer out on his tractor in a field, like, and he sees a glowing light and he goes toward it and he sees little men working on the ship and then they see him and they, they like, there was a lot of, uh, stunning going on, like a lot of just like, um, par- paralyzing so that like time, time kind of <laughs> stops. Like, are you saying the aliens stun them or they just get stunned? Um, you know, it could be both, but I, I think it was like a lot of times it was like the aliens had a mechanism that we would compare to like a gun of some sorts that would be like a paralyzing. It would basically like send energy, like a buzz into a human's body and like just prevent them from being able to do anything. And like, they kind of just lose track of time and all of that time. And then 
when they come to again, like the ship is gone. So it's like, you know, did it really happen? And oh, and that's another thing I wanted to talk on is the duality of reality versus artificial sightings. Um, Hold on, hold hold on, hold that thought for one second, because I love the idea that like, let's say I'm like this little kid uh, in and like I'm telling my parents who are who are these these space creatures like I'm like, listen, I'm going to go out with my friends like I'm going to go I'm going to go to Earth and just mess around for a little while. Like, I think that the main they'd be like you'd be like walking out the door and dad would be like or or probably mom would be like would be like, David, did you did you pack your little stun gun? They'd be like, did you did you pack it? They're like, well, how many times do we have to tell you this is the first thing you bring with you? Don't forget it. It'll be awkward if you forget it. Then you'll have to kidnap them. You got to bring that. You got to bring your little stun gun. That's to, funny. To deal with the humans if you run into them. Yep, yep. And <laughs> and uh, and you know what? Oddly enough, the the idea of paralysis and the stunning mechanism ties into my story, time storms that we'll go into next time. Okay. Nice. So so tell me tell me, and I think what you're about to say totally ties into it. Yeah, you're about to talk about the duality of reality. Yeah, yeah, duality of reality versus artificial sighting. So um, basically, is like is what everyone is seeing just a trick of the eye, and it's and and it's like a, a like an energy form that we haven't discovered yet. You know how like you can't see UV ray lights, but you can see it with a mechanism that we've created um to see that stuff but like so so is this just another energy wave basically where it's just a trick of the eye that we haven't discovered yet or is it actually really happening and that was like a big question that um Jacques kept referring to which which I think furthered the point that he was like I don't want to state whether I have an opinion on whether it's real or not but I just want to engage you into thinking about that and that kind of leads to this whole like relativity of time in general, which is like when, wow. when I start telling about my stories, like th- there's just so many um, hours and days that are lost between some of the people who have had more intense encounters with these um, creatures that it uh, like what 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 does time mean to them versus the way we see time and we perceive it? Wow. <laughs> and you have no idea, but this directly like injected with a needle, like is connected <laughs> to, which is the weirdest metaphor, but it directly connects to everything about time storms oh, cool. of what I was reading. Nice. Because, because I was also trying to digest, you know, no big deal at 4 a.m., the nature of reality and time. <laughs> um, so it's interesting that you say that. It's really interesting that you say that. So, so Jack's, so Jax talks about cases, but then he also kind of gets into this aspect of um, reality and whether or not these creatures are basically just a part of our reality that we can't perceive. Right. Right. Exactly. But like maybe some people can like just just the way that like some people have the ability to um, hear what note is playing on a piano, but you know and then and know exactly what it is or they see colors when they hear music like just you know uh feelings that people can experience that not not everyone can so maybe it's it's limited to like a certain type of people that can see and experience these these things if they are real (laughs) that's beautiful (laughs) yeah i thought that was pretty neat um but but it also sort of made me sad because that means that i must not have that special talent because i have not had any 
any alien sightings that I know of that I can remember. They the aliens are constantly like <laughs> flying past you while you're on your way to 7-Eleven and you have you have no receptors for it. So like they're just like they're like this girl never freaking talks to us, man. <laughs> I promise I'm not ignoring you guys. I just can't see you yet. Honestly, it's it, we don't we don't know we don't know because some people some people say the opposite. They say they're they're kryptonite for uh, supernatural encounters. Like some people who are field researchers, mm-hmm. they they no matter how hard they try, they can't see anything. Other people can't escape the phenomenon, yeah. and then it goes even deeper. Other people are like targeted by the phenomenon. Yeah. So so it, it it runs the spectrum. I think ultimately it's better to be on the side of not experiencing it than experiencing it all the time. For just your um, own like sanity. <laughs> but I but I think that look, if 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 they wanna be seen by you, they'll be seen by you. That's true. Yeah. Um so so it's hard to say. I mean, okay. I don't really know. You know, I don't really know if I'm receptive to it either. I definitely right. don't have like a, I don't think I have a special like gift for seeing it. Although I may have some other weird stuff going on and we should get into that sometime. Like whether or not we think that we have any crazy abilities. Wait, do but, you mean um, like, are you talking about like paranormal stuff or? Yeah. Like whether or not you think you have any predisposition to, uh, you know, anything ranging from precognition yeah. to seeing you know seeing dead people like the sixth sense is not that's not fiction like some people like mediums like go from go from one day to the next where they're terrified because they start being receptive to like you said the the souls of the dead dimension stuff like that i actually wanted to that was a question that i had for you is like how how would you separate like because because i think i have a, a predisposition to seeing um, like you know, souls of the dead and, and ghostly things too. I'm not saying that I have had many sightings, but I I've seen oh. like probably I could count on my hand how many times, but I have. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, I I think so too. And and so like you were saying about how like some people are targeted. I wouldn't. I'm not one of those, but I think I am. I do have like some sort of uh, energy wave veil that has been uncovered for me to be able to experience that. It's just those channels are cleaner for you. Yeah. There's not like, there's not a bunch of, there's not a bunch of like, uh, they're not barriers or spider webs. Right. There's not like a bunch of, there's not like a big barrier for you. You're just receptive to it. Right. And I think, I wonder, what do you think, Sydney? Like, I wonder if each sort of level of creature is like a different or similar, um, like, station on like a radio where it's like each channel is like basically a slightly different wavelength Mm. Mm. so maybe maybe you know i mean look if we're all basically waveforms of energy yeah we exist we we primarily exist on a waveform that these things are not on yep so so i you know they can blend and they can interfere which i wonder what it is that causes them to to come in contact, but well, that was something I wanted to bring up too. Is that like how I was talking about when they when they land and they typically tend to be in like s- suburban or rural areas? Um, uh, it tends to be when when they need help when they when something's mechanically wrong with the ship. And so I'm wondering if they 
are are like aware of their energy form and like us as humans are on a lower energy form so they can already see us but for us to be able to perceive them they can be in control of that i think that's 100 percent true period yeah i do think that they're in control of that i think that sometimes like the idea that they would be orchestrating every aspect of it every time is not true because yeah. there's so many stories of and that's why that's why part of me believes like even though we might be seeing what they want us to see sometimes mm-hmm. like totally weird like humans or or clowns or we might we might see like something or like an owl mm-hmm. we might see something more absurd if they want us to i do think that there there are a lot of stories where people stumble upon like supernatural creatures or aliens where they didn't where they where they're kind of like caught in the middle of something yeah. and and it's like you know i don't see those experiences as like they orchestrated the whole thing as like you just kind of walked in on each other right um with your pants off and <laughs> one has his shirt that. off one has his pants off yeah and you one both has- surprised each other <laughs> Yeah, and then and then you kind of you're kind of both. One is looking up, one is looking down, and then the, so there's there's the pants off. We have the meat grinder now. We have a new term. It's the pants off phenomenon, which is like you just you just see each other. Yeah, you know. So, but what is it that we're seeing exactly? Right. What is it that we're seeing even as human beings? <laughs> like what what are we seeing exactly? If we really are subatomic particles that are vibrating. Why, why are we seeing like such a solid and specific like Lego land? Is that just insane? You know, you know, one of the things that like blew my freaking mind in like sixth grade science was that we were learning about the eye and like what was concave and, and how the eye actually flips images. So everything we're seeing before our eyeball interprets it is upside down. Does that just blow your freaking mind? Wait, so what we're seeing is upside down? What we're we're seeing is a flipped image of reality. (laughs) Really? Yes. Our eyeball, our our eyeball, the way it like takes in light and refracts it for us to, uh, for our brain to interpret the image, it comes in upside down and our brain flips it. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that reminds me of this holographic, the Holographic Universe, this book by Michael Talbot, which is the first book that got me started on this journey a long time ago nice. in college. But it it discusses how the eye creates images for us out of the information it's given. Yeah. So you're right. It's our brain that's that's, you know, drawing up neat pictures for us, even though that's not exactly what's happening. Right. So there's um, uh, Jacques talks about five orders of advancement in in the races of aliens. So based on just the stories that he's collected, there's there's five, five different orders of advancement. Yeah. So you ready for this? The the most basic one that is mostly seen like in the woods or like just running around kind of scurrying. They don't seem to talk. They don't seem to have any higher form of intelligence. They are hairy with talons and they tend to typically be be found in caves and in the woods so i mean think about that like on our earth like the lowest form of like living beings are like rodents and you know like little black furry things with talons (laughs) so that that's the lowest on the order of advancement the second one 
is um, they're like a little more uh, advanced in their intelligence. But again, they don't talk. They don't seem to like interact with anything else. Um, and they they're green and they have long tails. And these are kind of what I fit, what I compared to what we consider like reptiles um, on Earth. So they're kind of more like lizard like um, they slither about they, you know, and they so different from the black and hairy, but reptilians. Kind of, yeah. Mm hmm. Yep, exactly. Okay. Um, the third one on the order of advancement, this one's really interesting to me, and there weren't very many stories about it, but this one um, are translucent aliens that are, like, shiny. So they're almost holographic. And this kind of goes back to, like, that duality of reality thing. Like, are, are we actually seeing these translucent beings, or is this, like, a depiction of an image that we're seeing and we're putting it on an order of advancement as a as part of the alien race? Um, so there's there's not much more to that other than translucent and shiny. These, these, are, these are like the rainbow jellyfish that are sometimes <laughs> reported in the sky. Yeah, oh, yeah. Actually, that's a good point. Maybe these can kind of be, like, what we perceive as ocean creatures. I mean, there are there are a lot of sightings, not a lot, but there are, there are sightings of those kinds of entities. Yeah. Where it's it's not a ship. It looks like a thing. Mm, interesting, like a like a colossal squid in the sky. Yeah, yeah, mm. totally. Okay, um, and then the last two are the ones that are like more more human like. Okay, so uh, the okay. um, the fourth one on the order of advancement is an elf like soldier, and they always wear a red cap, and they're very short in stature. They seem to be able to communicate with humans if they want to, um, but they, they aren't threatening. This is kind of like what all of um, folklore is referring to, so these elf-like creatures. And and they, they make a, a big point about the red cap, that even, even like the sightings where people have found like the egg-shaped UFO thing landing in their field, and, and there's little people Ooh. working mechanically on it, it's always little guys with red caps. And so in, in a way, they're kind of like, the worker bees, the soldiers, you know, the... Is it implied that the red cap is some sort of a tool for them? Uh, no, no. I think it's more of just like um, an, a way to assemblize them as, as like part of a race. Like it's kind of like their royal like headgear yes. to show their, their, their status. Yes, basically. exactly. They're, so it's, it's kind of like, hierarchy. yeah, it's like how our Navy dresses versus our National Guard. And, you know, they have a uniform. So Ooh, yeah, that's something a, like that's that. a good metaphor. Mm -hmm. Did you say elf like Folger? S soldier? Soldier. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then the fifth one is um is like the most advanced. It's what we know of as, when we picture aliens in our heads. So it's it's very short in stature. They're always under like four feet tall, and they seem to wear suits, some kind of like space suit, like an astronaut suit that can be like dark or shiny, metallic. Um, they tend to have big eyes that like lo are located on the side of their faces. Um, and if they're in their spaceship, they tend to have a helmet on. Um, and these are the ones who all also have the uh, electrocuting, paralyzing weapon, the stun, the stun gun, with them. Or it's like a, it's like a rod, right? It's like a metal rod. It is. It's more like yeah. It's they said that it it looks like a pen. That that's how small it is. It just looks yeah. like a pen. And I think oh, that's they said it was small. Yeah, small, small and long and skinny. Kind of like I think that's how like Men in Black depicted it when they do their the memory wipe thing. You know. That's how I'm picturing it. Or it's, it. it's what uh, magic wands come from. Oh, yeah. This concept of this um, this this wand, basically, mm -hmm. that's, that's, so, that's so advanced, it's indistinguishable from magic, basically. Yeah. Oh, my God. Totally. I love that. 
I didn't even make that connection, but exactly. It's exactly what it is. Um, so yeah, those are the five orders of advancement that Jacques came up with. And I, I thought those are really interesting to compare to, you know, what we can have ma- materialize on our owners um, in that order as well. Let me ask you two quick things. Okay. One, the first thing you said, black, hairy, but with talent. So is that's not really like a Bigfoot type of creature. It's like a, it sounds more like it's like, like a bird creature. Um... Talon is a bird's feature. I right? don't, I didn't, the, when I was reading the descriptions, I was not picturing it as a bird, but I do know what you mean by like, like, do the chickens have large talons? <laughs> um, but talons could also be like claws, you know, so. True, true. Like a bear, like a big black bear or something. So maybe the first category can be anything from like a Bigfoot bear kind of creature to. Yeah something more mystical like a like yeah. a griffin oh. or a mothman or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, mothman. That's that was another thing that, that was mentioned. Um another thing with the with the lowest order of advancement there is red eyes. That was what a lot Ooh. of people sometimes will just see red eyes and that's why they're assuming that the creature is black and hairy because they can't make out any other depictions other than red eyes. Well, let me ask you this. Why is it why is uh, Jack's uh why is he saying this is an order of advancement? Because it's my understanding, and maybe there is a direct correlation between the classes, but it's my understanding that a lot of these things can be uh, sort of separate players in the game, if you will, as well. So you have one, almost like an RPG, you have one race that are the reptilians who are definitely dominant in their own ways, uh, depending on who they are. And then you have other things which, like the freaking rainbow jellyfish, don't give a shit about anybody, uh, you know. And then, and then, but maybe that is a lower life form. But why would that be third? Why would that be above reptilians? And then you also have, like, I picture something like an elf who's unrelated to, uh, like, gray aliens. And I'm sure right. you have different. Well, once we start reading all the all the craziness of this stuff, you'll see that there's. Not only are there depictions of aliens as grays or as as what as what we as what we assume, like the big eyes on the side of their head creatures, um, mm-hmm. what we know is that. But there's other ones. There's like Nordic ones. There's yep. there's yep. creatures that look like they're from Asgard or they're they're blonde or they're um, totally. So I wonder what makes this a hierarchy exactly? Why are yeah. they even related? Right. I mean, I mean, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that either. And I think I think maybe just because of the compilation of stories that he was getting, he was categorizing them and he was trying to condense them and be like, oh, well, this creature is enough like this one that I can just put these in the same category together. So like probably even though you're you're mentioning like Nordic and and other uh, like religious creatures and things that we see, they can still be categorized under one of the five. I think I think that's what he just tried to narrow it down to something that we can like put in our heads and, and remember versus like there are 27 different categories of aliens, you know, and well, I'm sure I, there are. But yeah, I think he, for he's the, trying to simplify <laughs> J- Jax was Jax is like one of the fathers of ufology and, and one of the pioneers but I do think that it's even for him to even suggest that there are five is a lot. But, you know, he, he wasn't about to he wasn't about to go into all the all the other categories of beings. Um, right. 
So a thought that I was bringing up while you were talking about, well, how can he just say five? Because you mentioned like the elf-like creatures and how those could even be, they might just be in a completely different like subspecies category. Like we might not even be able to have them on the same realm. I was thinking about how humans have evolved in along with the stories that we have and the recordings of like sightings and stuff that we have. So maybe what was what what we know of as like Keebler elves and little elves that would come in and make your shoes at night <coughs> had had less technology than they do now, just the same way that humans do. The, the fact that we can we can fly planes and drive cars now. And back when those stories came out, that didn't exist. Now that now these Keebler elves same species are able are able to fly planetary, um, you know, like egg like wow. saucers around. But they're the same thing. They're just evolving like we are. Since That's kind of weird to in, think about. In all my in all my day in all my days in all my <laughs> in all. I've never I've never heard anyone bring that up. I think that's brilliant because I think that we tend to look at these creatures as like always staying the same and mm. there's and the, how trippy is that? Like not only are there a ton of other entities that we're coexisting with to some degree, but they're also changing and evolving as well. And <gasps> How can and, we just assume that they're like fully evolved and they're they're no longer going to evolve? into anything else. There's no way to just assume that based on our own history. <laughs> well, it's for me, for me, you start breaking the the ceiling of my understanding, especially with some of John Keel's more complicated work where you start looking at ties into what you said originally, which is like time might be a completely different thing for them. I mean, they, they yeah. could be, they could be evolving so much more in an instant or it's us that are rapidly changing while everything for them is like maybe like a hundred years for them is like literally just like taking a deep breath. <laughs> right. Know? This first story, um, I'm just going to kind of retell it by memory because I, I didn't feel like writing it down. Um, Perfect. One, because I don't like the way Jacques writes, <laughs> but also because it, it's a pretty simple story and it was more of like a moral a, like a moral story for like the children of um, uh, Ireland back in its time. So this this oh. this story came out of um, from 1852, and it, whether or not it really happened, we don't know. But like I said, it's been passed down through folklore that it, it's just become like a, a a way for children to like not stray away from the path. That that that's basically the lesson that we're learning from here. Um, so the last thing that we talked about was uh, relativity of time and like how time on our Earth may not be the same as time on other other worlds or how different energies perceive time, right? Um, so this was uh, two two really good friends, and I, I don't know how to pronounce their names because they're very Gaelic, but uh, I would assume one is Reese and the other one is Yellowin. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's spelled with two L's at the beginning. Ooh. That's why I'm saying with a Y, Yellowin. I don't know. Yellowin. Yellowin. Uh, Yellowin, maybe. Yellowin. That sounds nice. Reese and Yellowin. Okay. Um, so these awesome. two dudes are walking down a path and um, one is like, do you hear that music? And the other guy's like, no, I don't hear any music. And he just stops. And they're like, we have to keep going. Like the sun's about to go down. We're not, we're not going to be able to see our, our way back home if we don't, if we don't keep going on the path. And the guy's like, I just have the urge to like want to join in this music. It like makes me want to dance. And so he walks out off the path and disappears. And his friend is like, 
what where did he just go and he like walks out there and he's like feeling around and he can't find where his friend went and he like calls for him and he cannot find him and he's like well the sun is going down like i i'll have to come back and i'll look for him tomorrow and um this happens for weeks he can't find his friend for weeks he go he just goes missing for like a whole month and then um one day he's just sitting at home the sun is about to go down he's like making dinner for his family and his friend comes into the house and he's like hey i i made it home before sundown and the, his friend is just like flabbergasted he's like I, I don't even know what to say and he he's like what do you mean and he was like where have you been? And he said, well, I just had that quick, I just had a quick and, you know, dance with these, the the people in the woods. They were having such a good time. So I just wanted to join in their dance. And then I told you I'd come back and I'd meet you at home for supper. So he lost a month of time. He thought he was only dancing with that group, the group of people in the woods for like a matter of minutes or or an hour. And um, he had been missing in what we know as our human form of time uh, for a month. What a beautiful story to introduce to our dialogues. Like the concept of lost time is just stumbling upon this fae folk and dancing and then just losing. Like what did he lose a week? A month. He was gone for a month. His friend was gone for a month. That is shocking. (laughs) That means that for him in this dimension, uh, like he was just hanging out and having an evening, but the rest of the world was moving on. Yeah, they like declared him dead. They were like, he's missing. He's a missing person. He probably will never come back. So he's like, dude, we declared you dead. I'm married. (laughs) I'm married to your wife. Oh, toots. Yeah. So I just, that was like one of the stories that I I just thought from folklore that I thought was so cool and so powerful and riveting. I was like, I have to retell that story. I love it. I really love it. That is powerful. So this was another story that really stuck out to me um, for one reason, because it happened in New York City. Uh, Second reason, it happened to an actor in New York City. And I thought that was really cool. And and it kind of talks about... uh, more about like the relationship of of how these otherworldly creatures perceive us. And so that's something that I'm kind of interested in because prior to reading this book, I would have always thought of aliens as enemies, like as dangerous and as threatening, but like wow. almost almost like 95% of the stories that I read, the aliens had no interest in being like anything but peaceful. Wow. And like either just asking for help or like I said like looking to experiment and like just learn more. They weren't trying to do anything bad. And so much of the Hollywood machine is focused on the horror aspect of it. (laughs) Exactly. And, and, but that explains also why Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind was so hopeful. I mean, that's a hopeful movie about contact. And I always- I definitely need to watch that. I always thought of it as sort of like a negative thing. Like, why is there this silly- uh, hopeful, cheesy movie about aliens if that's so unrealistic. But it sounds right. like it's much more realistic to have an encounter that's just sort of kind of strange than it is yeah. to than it is to have one where they're um, threatening you. I mean, who cares about exactly. how, more, how much more common one thing is than the other? But I think the point is, um, that the other the other is more common, maybe. Yeah, right. And and I think I think the main reason for that is that Hollywood finds 
conflict more interesting. So like it's easy to take something that you're not familiar with or like perplexed by and just make it, <laughs> you know, the term alienate, like we, we push it far away cause we're scared of it and it uh-huh. seems dangerous. Like dude, right there for you, right in the Merriam Webster. <laughs> it's already perceiving aliens as something negative. Well, imagine, imagine the preview for the movie where it's like this Friday night, watch Will Ferrell and Vince Vaughn party <laughs> with the Grays. And it's just like <laughs> with them, the gentry. Them with the gentry. Watch them get down with the gentry. <laughs> watch them, watch them do keg stands with the gentry. Oh my they're, god. They're just like chilling, you know? That's not yeah. as but it's, at the same time, maybe we're ready for that. And anybody listening, like we're ready for we're ready for some movies that aren't like this weekend. Him and his friends are up against an unstoppable menace. Right. You know? Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's not like why we don't have to protect our Earth. <laughs> so we, you know, it's not an Avengers type issue movie <laughs> with with otherworldly beings coming to take over our world. That's not the case. <laughs> I doubt we could protect five dudes with guns can protect <laughs> can protect the earth from something that's superior to us as far as yeah. their technology anyway. Right. Um, so let's let's get down and boogie with them. So what happens okay. to this person in uh, New York? Yeah, this this um, I'm, I'm going to be uh, like quoting him directly, but I'm going to try to tell the story as organically as I can. But his name is Stuart Whitman. He was an actor in New York City around 1965 when the Great Northeastern Blackout occurred. So this was like a, a phenomenon. That I, I'm, I didn't even look up how long it lasted, but um, the main part of the story is that during this blackout, like they, the whole city lost power. Um, nobody was able to like communicate with each other and for a matter of hours or a night, I don't know how long it was. Um, but Stuart Whitman had an encounter. He was on the 12th floor of a Times Square hotel and um, two lights came up to his window that he perceived to be UFOs. One had an orange light and one had a blue light. And here's here's what he was quoted to be saying about uh, the situation when he reported it later. He said... Um, Then I heard them speaking to me as if they were on a loudspeaker. They spoke to me in English. It may have not been audible to anyone else, but I was probably tuned to the right wavelength. Very interesting. Then he said, uh, they said they wanted to talk to me because I appeared to have no malice or hate in my soul. They said they were fearful of Earth because Earthlings were messing around with unknown quantities and might disrupt the balance of the universe on their planet. Wow. Hmm. Uh, They said with almost no effort, it served as a warning that this blackout served as a warning. They said that they could stop our whole planet from functioning if they wanted to. So they were like just expressing their their power to him, but that they didn't want to cause harm, that they were just trying to raise awareness and you know bring an alarm. Um, And then the last thing here, they said they asked me what. Oh, sorry. They asked me to do what I could to fight the malice, prejudice, and hate on Earth, and then they took off. He said that after after that happened, he felt elated. He wasn't even shocked. He was just very calm. He was standing by the Aww. window, and he was awake the entire time. He said that he wasn't sure why they picked him as a contact, but he says he'll swear that he saw them out there, and they talked directly to him. When so, was this? What year was this? Uh, 1965. 19, I was like, 1995? 1965. No, 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 no. no. 
Um, yeah, every everything that occurred in this book was like prior to 1969, I think. So it's all. <laughs> it's like, funny that I, it's funny that I say that because I did look up. This book was published in 1969. Yeah. So, um, you know, for me, uh, talking about the timelessness of the universe, the date is the last thing that's important to me. My yeah. my my favorite things about these stories are the time, like what time of day something Ooh. occurred, and like, yeah. and what day was it? Like, you know, because it's it's. For me, that's that's the beautiful part, you know, like. Oh, like, was it a Monday or? Or or like, you know, if it was January the 23rd, oh, you know, but yeah. but what was the day like, you know, when right. what time is it? They were they were up getting bagels, you know, and, yeah. and, <laughs> and, and you know, it's and then they happen to see something on a brisk day or. Jacques um, actually mentioned that he said that like um, that, like three quarters of the cases that he was seen um, were occurring between the hours of 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So that, you know, and, and that's what that's what some people call the witching hour um, where nothing good happens after 2 a.m. and until the sun rises. And so that's kind of the hours of like three to six a.m. So I thought that was pretty interesting, too. That's what you get for being awake that long. If you're if you're <laughs> if you're being if you're being a total fool, like foolish things will happen to you yeah, um, yeah. or or cool things. So one thing uh what were these, what did these entities look like? Was it just an orange and a blue light? Yep. It was just an orange and a blue light. He said that because it was so dark, he could only see the light and like the shape of like what would be known as like a small flying saucer. And then they were speaking on a loudspeaker, but he couldn't see anything like, like beans or shapes or anything. He just was, he just heard them talking directly to him. <laughs> they were like, Brad, can you hear us? Can Brad hear us? Brad. <laughs> They're like, by the way, you will never be a famous actor. By the way, you should stop with the acting. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but anyway, that story kind of made me think about, do you remember um, December 2018 in Astoria when that like everybody started like posting those crazy pictures of that big blue light that like went all over Astoria and everyone was like, oh, my God, fucking aliens. And no. it turned out to be like a big transformer blew up at a at a plant. Like oh, a power plant I by do. LaGuardia. Rem- I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. But then it's like, was it actually a power plant? <laughs> was it another light like coming and talking to someone? Maybe, but that happens a lot. That kind of stuff yeah. happens a lot where on an odd night, you know, a lot of people see something and then it just kind of goes nowhere. No one, no yeah. one, no one that knows anything would tell us. And like, and when nobody finds out, but at least now we, you know, if we were to do our own research or, or hopefully when we look at more modern researchers, maybe now they're compiling um, these, these day-to-day um, sightings, which do still happen in cities. It's surprising that you even have a sighting in New York City. Right. Right. Yeah. That's that's what I, that's what also stuck out to me, because like I said, like aliens tend to really love farmers and all of this. All this <laughs> stuff happens out in fields in the middle. of nowhere. They do. They do prefer farmers. But what are you going to do? <laughs> Sometimes they got to settle for the rest of us. Oh, so the next two stories are probably, I, I mean, I'm just assuming that because you know anything about ufology that you've heard these stories before, but they seem to be like the two most popular original UFO sightings that happened in the U.S. So Beautiful. we'll see. Um, so this one is Jerry Irwin. He was a U.S. Army private for uh, Nike Missile 
Nike miss. He was a Nike missile technician, um, and so he worked for the the U.S. Army. Um, and so he, you know, already you're kind of perceiving this man as like, okay, he knows what he's doing. He's a smart, intelligent man. He works for the the U.S. Army. You know, he's like. Uh, probably a man of honor and respect, right? This happened right. in 1959. Somebody who's trained, um, who's disciplined, exactly. smart. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, so he was driving back to El Paso. Um, he was stationed out in Idaho, and they put him on leave um, from Nampa, Idaho. And he's driving on the highway back down south, and he spots this bright object that streaks across the sky over Route 14 in Utah. Um, and it disappeared behind, like, this brush. And he, his first thought was, like, oh, my gosh, because he he was just leaving base, and it happened right off base. And he was, like, oh, my gosh, like, uh, uh, an aircraft just crashed. And he was, like, I have to go check this out and, like, make sure that people that I know aren't harmed or, like, you know, he, so he is there to help um so he pulls his car over and he writes a little note that he puts on his steering wheel that says going to investigate possible crash okay mom i love you (laughs) yeah love you mom um and he takes shoe polish from his car and he writes the words s-t-o-p over his car stop so that anybody driving by will like stop and see the note and be able to like find him if anything happens oh he got out of his car he pulled his car over where the crash happened over the interstate, wrote this note saying, um, like, I'm investigating possible crash. And he put it on a steering wheel. And then he wrote stop in shoe polish on the side of his car. Um, so, like, this, this like, fishing man, like, I don't know, some, some guy, like, finds his car, calls the sheriff. He's in Cedar City, Utah. And, and within, within an hour of when he pulled his car over, the sheriff and these deputies go out and they, and they find Irwin. He's laying on the ground unconscious, like, like just like several hundred feet away from his car. And he wakes up the next day in the hospital and he's like in good health. They checked all his vitals. Nothing seems to be wrong with him, but he's really confused. And the first thing he says is, um, were there any casualties? And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. There was no crash. Like, there's nothing. And he's like, well, I'm missing my jacket. I must have left it at the site. And and they, when the when the sheriff found him, they didn't see him with a jacket or anything. So so if we were acting out this scene, I'd be like, you know, you wake up and you're like, were there, were there any casualties? I mean, at the crash site, was anyone hurt? And what? then. <laughs> And then the medical examiners go, what crash? There was no crash. Crazy. So he returns to El Paso. He goes back to his base there um, and he's admitted at a medical center for further analysis. Um, He's released, but on his way walking back to base, he passes out again. So he gets readmitted. He ends up spending a month in a psychiatric ward where they're trying to like figure out what the hell happened to him and why he's like just being weird. Um, nothing happens, no ailments, nothing to be discerned about. So they, they immediately release him. And the first thing he does is he gets on a bus back to Cedar city, Utah. Wow. So this is like a month after it happens, right? He goes to where the crash site was. He finds his missing jacket draped over a bush and inside the buttonhole, there's a little uh, a little pencil with a piece of paper wrapped around it. Um, unfortunately, we never found out what was written on that paper. I don't know why. I don't know. I didn't do any further searching, but like, I really wanted to know what was written on the paper, (laughs) but, um, he never said what was on the paper. He just turned himself into the sheriff immediately. Um, the sheriff at Cedar city. Why would he do that? Cause he thought he was going insane. 
I, I don't know. Maybe spending a month in a psychiatric ward makes you start to feel like it's your fault that you're saying things and seeing things. Who knows? So this guy wakes up on this field and he claims that he saw like a, a plane crash, a UFO crash or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then everybody thinks he's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's insists that something happened. He mm-hmm. goes back to the site to get his jacket. Does yep, the jacket does the jacket or anything prove anything? I mean, for a whole month, a jacket sitting out in the middle of nowhere on a bush, untouched, that's pretty weird. And the and the fact that there was a pencil in the buttonhole with a piece of paper wrapped around it, like I I feel like if we just knew what that note said, we would have more proof, but I guess no. <laughs> Not much proof of anything other than if he read it and it made him fucking like go insane and he just turned himself into the sheriff he was like nope aliens can't be real this can't be real and he like turned himself in thinking like i am the crazy one who knows we'll never know but listen to this you want to hear how the story ends yeah i do so he gets sent back to el paso where he gets put back into psych psych eval and after being uh, evaluated and released again with no issues he goes awol and has never been seen Again, no, no body, nothing. Didn't leave a sign for anyone. Gone, missing. I love how you use the word, the term AWOL. That's like a military term, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's what they, that's what the military defined him as. They were like, he went AWOL. We haven't seen him since. Well, I hope he went, I hope he went out to the field and then his alien, uh, like taxi just pulls up and he's like, all right, come on, dude, let's just get out of here. Yeah, right. Exactly. So maybe the note said something like, "You're too good. We're for willing these to take you, to take you with us." And he he got freaked out, you know. But then he was like, "Maybe I should just go with them. Nobody on Earth believes me." <laughs> Very cool. I didn't know that story. See, I'm not okay. like some good. I'm I'm learning <laughs> stuff, man. So I thought that was a cool one too. Yeah. Um, the next story I have is is apparently like the first story recorded about an abduction. Beautiful. So you might know about this. This is a couple um, named Betty and Barney Hill. You know them, okay? They're your yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah. They're 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 like the main abduction yeah. story. But I yeah. love I love it. I can't wait to hear it. Tell me. I thought it was really cool the way Jacques tells the story because oh, he you thought tells... it was cool the way Jacques tells the story. I didn't realize that. <laughs> I I don't like the way he worded it, but I think his order <laughs> of of telling it was pretty interesting and that's because after i read about it and i was like what i I looked it up like on wikipedia and wanted to learn more it was like wikipedia didn't give you any of that like um suspenseful feeling it was just like here are all the order of events that happened and it was like okay well that really downplayed the way that jacques told it but i'm gonna tell it the way jacques told it or at least i'm gonna try so this is the first claim of abduction Um, But however, the abduction wasn't discovered until the couple was hypnotized later. So this happened in 1961 in New Hampshire. Um, Betty and Barney Hill were driving along the interstate and they observed a bright point of light in the sky. Betty reasoned that she, you know, she thought she was just seeing a falling star, but it was moving upward. So since it was moving erratically and it kept like growing bigger and brighter, she was like, Barney, we have to pull over the car and take a closer look. And um, what's funny is that their picture on Wikipedia is like the couple and then they have a big wiener dog in their lap. And I thought that was really funny uh, oh. because in the story that Jacques tells, he, he's like they they took their dog Delcy for a walk while they were stopping the car. What was the, na- <laughs> what was the name of the dog? Delcy. Isn't that such a cute name? Yeah, I've never heard that name before. D-E-L-S-S-I? S-E-Y. 
Oh, what a what a cute name. I know. I really love it. It was like a fat little wiener dog, Delcy. Um, so anyway, they get out of the car. They they're still watching the bright light, and they they decide, uh, it's it's probably just like some weird plane or something that's floating around. So they decided to get back on the road. But all of a sudden, the object rapidly descends towards their vehicle, and it Barney just stops in the middle of the highway, and their entire windshield is just filled with the view of this bright light, and it, to what they said is like a saucer or something. Then the next thing they know is above their car, they felt this huge vibration, this buzzing, and they felt really tired and weak. And they they just like experienced this, what they called an onset of an altered state of consciousness. That was that was something that they described in the in the first police report that they sent forward, which is what Jacques is retelling this whole like I saw a light. We stopped at the side of the road. We decided to get back on the road. Then all of a sudden it was like right in front of us and we felt this buzzing on top of our car. And they said that they experienced the onset of an altered state of consciousness that left their minds dulled, which is really a really interesting thought to like try to perceive how that would feel, you know, yeah. Um, Absolutely. So, and and then the next thing that they reported was that they felt the buzzing again as they were pulling into their garage at home. And that's it. They went inside. They went to bed. Life goes on. As you do when you encounter a large light that buzzes <laughs> its way into your uh, windshield wiper. <laughs> and through your altered state of consciousness. Well, that's not the whole story, though. Exactly. Because after they reported that incident, they realized that um, the questions that the police were asking them, that they couldn't account for almost two whole hours during their drive from from after that bright light covered their windshield to when they got home. They had nothing. They just they were like, we have no idea what's going on. So um, they underwent hypnosis where like during this session, it was like an intense session of uh, where they discovered what happened during the two hours. Um, and so Jacques, honestly, he doesn't get into much detail about it because he's like, all of you reading this probably already know what happened. Uh. <laughs> and so he doesn't talk about what happened, but I, I did a little research beyond that because I was like, wait, uh. what happened? <laughs> yeah, what, what the hell, um, Jacques? So I'm not going to like quote it exactly because I do think that it was kind of a cool thing that I got really invested into the story so much that I wanted to go and find out what happened on my own. So I'm I gonna have, kinda... I have the book. I have okay. the book, which, which interrupted may... journey. Yeah. Maybe I'm yeah. Gonna, maybe we're going to have to read that one together. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 Um, I actually was going to bring that up for our, our readers, but I, I, or for our listeners, Hernog Jensen, if you're out there listening, <laughs> Hernod um, and her nay, <laughs> her nay. Um, Anyway, so I'll just briefly go over it. But after the big light came down and covered their windshield, um, they uh, Barney said that it reminded him of a huge pancake. So that's like any <laughs> flying saucer you could ever think of. Huge pancake. Yeah. Oh, so he I said that pancakes. he had he had binoculars and he was able to use them. And he said that he saw about eight to 11 figures who were peering out of the craft's windows. They were looking right at him. And in unison, all but one of the figures moved to the ha- uh, the rear hallway of the craft. So just one figure just kept staring at him. And it telepathically communicated a message to him saying, Stare, stay where you are and keep looking wait so all but one were 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 looking at him so only one was looking at him 
Only one figure was looking at him, and the other, like, however many there were, seven or ten of them, they all moved in unison to the rear of the vehicle as, like, the 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 platform was coming down. So they were moving oh, out. Oh, how yeah. creepy is that image? Exactly, right. And so, yeah, the one who was just staring at him said, stay where you are and keep looking. And so Barney, like, he, his recollection was just uh, observing the humanoid form forms and that they wore, like, glossy black uniforms and had black caps. And it's funny because his wife had, like, a different depiction of what they looked like. She said that they, she thought they had black hair. Um, anyway, that um, on, the, on the side of the aircraft, these, like, red lights that appeared to be, like, bat wing fins came out. They, like, telescoped out the side. And um, then the long structure came out from the bottom. And that's where the creatures came out. Um, long story short, they were both abducted, examined thoroughly, and placed back in their cars unharmed but forever affected. These are just like the the Batman, the Blossom <laughs> Batman tribe. <laughs> like they they discovered our Batman movies at some point in the in the distant future, and they just decided to build everything around that. I really had to say the bat description because you know my obsession with bats. So. You know they're just the lost tribe of of. Uh, I, I'm trying so hard not to say it. Intergalactic species. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a strange detail because that's not something you hear that much. Yeah. That almost sounds like a like a very 60s sort of image where you it have does. an old school UFO encounter with people in uniform. It's black. The, the helmets are shiny. I mean, that doesn't even seem like... Uh, extraterrestrials as much as like future humans. Yeah, it almost of. just seems like FBI or something. Like the government's like, <laughs> we're going to cover this up. Stop what you're doing. That's interesting. I mean, that that's also, it's close enough to contemporary humans that it could just be, um, it could just be the government in that situation. But for me, to me, the Betty and Barney Hill story always seemed to me like it was future future humans or it was yeah. humans from a slightly different parallel dimension yeah. um, which were more advanced. Imagine what their uniform looks like today after I don't know how many decades. They probably have a pretty sweet uniform going Yeah, right totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a more sexy Tron vibe with like, <laughs> you know. Sexy Tron. Yes. They got, they got more neon lights with their black suits. Or they're going back into like the 80s style like we are. <laughs> <laughs> they're like yeah we're also going back into giant parachute pants and frizzy hair <laughs> alien styles man well yeah. you know what the the one thing alien about the, fashion alien fashion is really what this podcast is all about it's, <laughs> it's, it's the only thing that i care about um, <laughs> surprise what are they wearing <laughs> Um, is that Gucci? <laughs> oh my God. So these extraterrestrials were sporting the red heels. With Louis Vuittons. Louis Vuitton bags. Um, uh, in their bags, they kept their entire spaceships. <laughs> this story is, is one of those stories, however, where I think the opposite's true, where they really don't have their own unique fashions or identities i think with these species you'll in an interesting way you will not find them super decked out individually yeah. they're they're like in this situation they're they're like uniform they're well think about it when we send our people into space they don't wear their own personal fashion they wear astronaut spacesuits so 
It's Sydney. probably a safety thing. That's Just another saying. one of your uniquely brilliant observations. <laughs> Stop. No, I'm serious. That's so true. Instead of like some big communist conspiracy of the future, it might just be that the fact that they wear something specific to travel. Yeah. Um, this seems like it makes sense. I mean, you love it. You, it. At the end of the day, you have to compare extraterrestrial sightings and things to what we already know. And why would you try to say like they do stuff different than us? than just trying to make what they do about how we would also do it. Well, it gives you a very important basis that I think you have to consider. You have to consider the practicality uh, and the most obvious answer to the questions, the Occam Razor's aspect of it. Um, You have to cover it at least. I mean, sometimes it may be so strange and so far from our logic that it's completely illogical, but... um, it might just be that as, as practical as that. I mean, it, or it might be as profound as the fact that they don't have individual identities um, and they just don't think that way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think in some cases there are reports of these beings being foreign to the concept of like having a, uh, a, a name or an identity. They're like, what do you mean? What do I call myself? Like, that's a <laughs> crazy question. You know, right. whereas in our society, we value what we call ourselves and where we're from and all this stuff more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but imagine in the future where it doesn't matter where you're from, where we all have the same technology and the same information, where let's say we're all even basically the same race because it's so diversified that we just become closer to each other um, or genetics are involved, then then the the concept of identity, I mean, if we had endless money and like all of us were sort of set up to have the same exact opportunities, um, maybe it wouldn't matter so much. Uh, maybe we wouldn't be so focused on identity. That's interesting that you say that because um, I, not not hugely, but like I, I, I'm very interested in like witches and Wiccans and like delving into the, like the spiritual world in that sense and like how... Nice. Because they believe that energy powers everything and like, um, you know, how people can just like basically like energize themselves into the into perceiving who they want to be and like what they want to like what they want to succeed in in life. And um, one of my one of the people that I that I follow posted this whole thing um, and it's based off a book. I want to say it's called A New Earth, but it might be called A New World. I'll give you the direct um book on that but uh it's it's all about how um this is this time in life like right now the world burning and everyone like freaking out and rioting and like the you know the 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 pandemic that's spreading and just like it's it's hard to get yourself out of the slump of like oh my god the world is gonna end the world's not gonna end it's just gonna turn into a new world. What we're on the verge of is a new earth that that's going to like become something that we could have never perceived it, it before where things that you were saying, material things like money and society don't exist the way that they do now because it's obviously not working yeah. the way that it's it, it that it is now. And so wow. I, I I just find that like so powerful and enheartening and I want to learn more about it. Um so that 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 it was just interesting that you said that. Um, Sydney, that's honestly the most perfect and adorable and <laughs> intelligent thing <laughs> you could have possibly said. Honestly, I mean, that's uh, in Spanish, you would say, eso es divino. 
And esos, di- eso es divino. Eso es divino. It's and it's divine. Yeah, you would say that's that's divine, and um, this is a reality. This is not fantasy anymore. The navy, yeah. the navy is acknowledging. Yep. that it studies UFOs. They released, you know, whether they purposely released it or just ended up um, confirming it, uh, those are big steps taking towards us having dialogues about this stuff in a non, non-ridiculous way, you know? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean we can't laugh and totally have a great time at the more absurd aspects of it, but um, it does mean that I think we get to share our reality moving forward with quite a cast of characters in an, in a new light in a, in a, yeah, Yeah. it's not, it's not just silly talk anymore. I think it's good for the human race to see that we are not, you know, one of the main things that I learned from my studying of John Keel, um, is, is, um, that we are not the dominant life form. We are not the all-intelligent race. We're not Mm -hmm. the most powerful, intelligent race in the universe. That's simply Mm -hmm. not true. Uh, We are are part of a global, a global, we're part of an intergalactic, interplanetary, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no, we're, um, we're part of a community. And I think it's humbling for us to realize our limitations. And like those stories show, like that first, like that second story showed, there are a lot of beings that want to share the the stars with us, but that they want us to realize that what we do will affect other people. I mean, it's it's the oldest it's the oldest lesson in the book when you're a parent and you're like, listen, what the way that you behave affects other people. You ha- you have to think about that, and um, and to take some responsibility. Love it. So were there any other stories or was that it? I have two more stories. Um, So I'll I'll talk about this guy first. His name is Fernando Sesma. He's from Spain. Um, This uh, happened in 1954. And like the last thing that Jacques said was that he is still in talks with uh, aliens today. But... (laughs) <laughs> his today was like 1969, so I can't confirm that he's still in talks with Aliens 2020. But um, for at least uh, 15 years, they, he he was communicating with aliens. Right. Um, so basically what happened is he is like a museum curator. And uh, all of a sudden this like this flying saucer came and it threw a stone with symbols and like hieroglyphics and, um, down into the museum gardens. Whoa. And he like went out to get it and was like, what the hell is this? And he spent like the next couple of months deciphering what the symbols m- meant and what the message that they were trying to convey said. And um, he deciphered them and he like put the stone back out into the gardens with the um, translation and he's been in contact with aliens ever since. That is a wonderful story. Yeah. Isn't that does so it, cool? Does it say what he deciphered, Oops. what it said? I don't think so. If it did, I feel like I would have written it down. But I don't think Jacques said what, what the message was. And I, I'm not even sure that he, like, Fernando is sharing what that stuff says. Because he seemed, from the way the story was worded, that he seems pretty, like, reserved. And he was just 
telling. Like, I wonder if it was a personal stuff. message or if it was just like instructions for how to build space IKEA uh, furniture or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, he did say that um, he could admit that the that this race was far superior to us and that they're very like peace loving. And he's in permanent contact with them. They either write him. Sometimes they've called him. They've even set up meetings together. What are you doing? Hey, girl, what's up? What are you wearing? <laughs> um, so anyway, he's predicted many other sightings that occurred throughout the world, like specifically in Argentina. I guess he like predicted several uh, consecutive sightings there. Um, he's also predicted economical and political changes in society. Um, the biggest one that he predicted was um, RFK's assassination. The aliens like RFK. told him that was going to happen. Yeah, not what, JFK. What is this dude's name? Fernando Sesma, S E S M A. I don't know if I'm saying that right. S E S M A. Mm-hmm. Either Spanish or Portuguese. Oh no, you said he was from Spain. He's from Spain, yeah. So we'll have to look up. We need this dude now. Where are you, Fernando? Yeah. Well, my last story is name is Antonia Villas Boas. Um, this happened in 1957. Uh, this dude around 10 p.m. And this was in October. He was plowing with his tractor when he saw this blinding white light at the northern end of his field. Uh, And he said that he had seen this light before, but they never really thought anything of it. He lived with his brother out in this farm. Um, So this was like the second or third time that he'd seen it. But this time he tried to actually approach it. And every time he would try to approach it, the light would move away. And he said it happened about 20 times throughout the night. And like his brother even witnessed him trying to run toward the light and then the light running away from him. But... Even even though the light would like disappear, it would always seem to like wait for him. And it, the image that came into my head was like Peter Pan trying to chase Tinkerbell. Like yeah. she's always there, but she's like just flittering away. You know, there's that <laughs> mystical teasing. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. So yeah, his, his brother was watching the se- the scene unfold, and they just gave they gave up. So and the light just vanished. And so he was like, okay you know that was weird but whatever then the next the very next evening antonio was in the same spot on his tractor in the field and um like he said it was a cold clear starry night and this was at 1 a.m he saw something it was like a red star up in the sky and it just get got larger and all of a sudden he can like make a shape out of it it's like it looks egg-like and it's coming down towards the field um it hovered above his tractor like right above him. And then it landed in front hmm. of his tractor softly. Um, he said he tried to drive away, but the tractor engine like just putted out. And he said that it was like, it felt like there was nothing wrong with the tractor. It just like stopped working all of a sudden. Kind of like that energy thing. And this thing is just about. buzzing in the sky. Like it just landed. Yeah. It oh, had just it, oh landed. it landed. Yeah. It landed in front of his tractor and he tried to drive away, but oh. then it, his tractor died. Yeah. So he jumped off the tractor and he takes two steps, but then he gets caught like something grabs his arm and he like tries to struggle. But there's these four little men and they take him and they carry him inside. They're like, dude, can we borrow your dog? (laughs) Pretty much. But okay, so this is what I was trying to get at. I I think I told you about this via text a couple of weeks ago, but the whole last chapter of of Jacques book is about sexual encounters. Oh, that's so tasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this this one was kind of like the most um, detailed like one that I thought was the most worth They're sharing. They're like, we're going to an orgy. <laughs> yeah. It's starring you, my man. <laughs> oh, that's 
That's terrifying. Anyway, the four men carry him inside the craft. They communicate among themselves, and he said that it sounded like little growls, that he couldn't understand anything. But he tried to resist. However, the the creatures stripped him down. Little growls? Oh, my God. (laughs) He said they were (laughs) He said that no matter how much he resisted, they stripped him down. They washed his body with, like, a wet sponge, and they took him into a room with a strangely lettered door, and they closed the door. (laughs) <laughs> and he said he felt like he was there for hours, like all night. Like he could not escape. He couldn't. He couldn't sleep. He was fully naked. Didn't know what to do. There's so sudden, many dirty things I want to say right now, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Wait for my story to have fun, okay? Nobody's going to an orgy, unfortunately. Um, when the door opened, all of a sudden, this woman came in, naked as he was. Her hair was long and blonde. Middle part, I don't know why he specifies that, but <laughs> center parted hair, long blonde eyes, long blonde hair. She had blue eyes, and he said that they were really long rather than they were round, and they were slanted outward. Wow. Her nose was super straight, cheekbones very prominent, but her face was really wide, and it came to like a really, really pointy chin. Um, her face just, was wide? Yeah, like, I mean, picture like an alien head, right? Like really wide, and then comes to a tiny point at the bottom. Okay. Yeah, kind of like that. So he said that her lips were very thin and like basically invisible. Right. Um, her ears were small, but they looked normal. She was much shorter than he was. Her head was like only up to her his shoulder. Um, and <laughs> this is the way Jacques describes it. She quickly made clear to him what the purpose of her visit was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I wonder how she did it. She, did she just look at his junk? Well, they, they, there was a moment where they said that they, uh, like a man came in afterward. Ew. <laughs> Does she even have a tongue? Uh, <laughs> maybe she's got like two tentacles, no tongue. She licked her tentacles. Uh, um, but they, they did say that a man came in like right after that and put like a clear suction cup over his genitals and like basically extracted semen. Uh, um, yeah. And so he like, f- and, fuck kind of party is this what is this guy what, what is this guy getting involved for i think they had it covered he's like we don't have time for this no this here's guy. the best part here's the best part the guy who who extracted the semen um beckoned to the woman he like pointed at her belly and smiled and then points at the sky and then just followed her out and then the, and then they left that is so rude and yet so clear like <laughs> There's never been any clear alien sign language. <laughs> like he give you baby from outer space. We using your semen to put in belly so we can go into space and have your baby. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the, and then um, the little men came back with his clothes. They took him into a room and they released him. And that's it. So you telling me this guy didn't even get laid? <laughs> well, I... I think he did because Jacques just like basically he didn't without saying it. He said like the woman made clear to him what the purpose of her visit was. Look, I think that if you're going to have a sexual experience with another species, be it from another planet or whatever, (laughs) like there should at least be some chemistry going on. You know, there should at least be consent, bro. I mean, he got he got a good description of what she looked like, including that center part. Yeah, but <laughs> but uh, but it's just like it falls shy of you know 
being the true awesome alien porn that you really want, you know, like yeah. just, that's what I would have wanted for Antonio, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I would have wanted him to have a great story instead of like some super awkward situation where some, <laughs> some, some middleman is coming in and suctioning his dick. <laughs> Oh. I feel like you fucking that's the definition of a cock blocker. He's like a cock he's a cock suctioner. I mean, as far as I know, I, I'm pretty sure that the intercourse occurred, but then like before he finished, the oh. man came in to suck it out. That's my interpretation because like I said, I'm Jacques, yeah, No, I it's okay, you. but the, the, the direct quote I was thought that Jacques that's what said, you might have been saying, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. No, yeah. He said she quickly I mean, made really clear knows? to him what the purpose of her visit was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I so. mean, um, they're curious about us. They they want to mate with us. They want to experiment yeah. with genetics. I mean, all of that is uh, fine, you know. Yeah. And, and that's what 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 whether it's fine or not. That's that's what's going on. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, these were all really really good stories. Oh, thank you. I mean, good. Like when you hear me talk about time storms. Um, next time <laughs> I'm going to be so intense about it. Uh, Is it going to be like, I'm in a time storm the way that you're telling the story? I'm well, like, hopefully. Ah! Yeah. I mean, I want the time storms have an element of, uh, danger and, and, and they're, they can be frightening in their, in their otherworldly nature because you don't know what's going on. I mean, it's yeah. even, it's even weirder than. Um, an alien story because people who are caught in time storms have no frame of reference for it. Mm. They don't really, even though a lot of them describe a lot of the same things, they don't have a pop culture reference for it. So they don't know what's going on. Like they're, they're, they experience like mists and um, spherical objects and glowing lights and they completely lose track of time and then the most insane stuff happens to them. But they're very, very interesting stories. What I, I think what I love about time storms that we'll get into in, in super depth is uh, just how, like, how frustratingly inconvenient they are. Like, you'll be in the middle of a trip or, or uh, your backyard or... Um, You'll be in the middle of something like regular, like going to the store. And then if you get caught in one of these electrical storms, just like the electrical storms we just had these past couple of days. I mean, we had not electrical storms, but we had thunderstorms the past couple yeah. of days. Like, yeah. I mean, it's it, it can totally happen to you that you stumble upon the wrong kind of storm. And if you're huh. outside or if you're driving somewhere, um, there's a likelihood that this can happen to you so um that's but I, pretty cool it is very cool and has that ever happened to you oh god no i mean i mean i i i uh i love thunderstorms and everything but after reading time storms i'm definitely thinking twice about wanting to be caught outside you know wow uh not that i think it's a common experience but it's it spooked me enough to make me realize that it's basically just, even if it's one in a million chance, right. there's, there's a chance that that storm is going to be up to no good. But now do they typically kill people or is it just, it just like messes with your life? Um, I haven't read 
I think, well, you know what? What I will say is that there is an an obscene amount of missing person cases that happens Mm. on a regular basis. You wouldn't have the answer to that if someone just disappears. Um, You know, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily, maybe you'll have the story where you see the circumstances come up that remind you of a time storm. You have those characteristics and then you have a missing person. So I'm sure Mm. that does result in a, it's interesting that you asked that because I'm sure that a lot of the time it does result in a one-way ticket, but surprisingly enough, it's a two-way ticket a lot of the time. And that is, that's sort of like the beauty of all the stories that I'm going to share with you is that so many of them involve people going somewhere else and then coming back. No. And, and um, it's, the dis- it's the displacement itself of yeah. reality that becomes interesting. I'm intrigued, definitely. So, my dear, um, any closing thoughts? Well, I just wanted to leave you with one thing. That After I finished the book, I looked at the title again, and I was like, so what the hell does Passport to Magonia mean? What the hell does that mean? What does that mean? And I looked up Magonia, and all I could find was that it's um, it's it's a an ancient term for, like, a cloud realm that sailors would speak of, like when they sailed off the edge of the earth. They would go to Magonia. And it was like a place that you could never come back from that was like otherworldly, but it was like right off the edge of this earth. Um, So I thought that was kind of cool. And I I think that kind of explains it and brings everything full circle. (laughs) Brings everything full circle in typical poetic Sydney fashion. (laughs) Seriously. I love love that. The Cloud City. Um, Cloud, yeah. Cloud Realm. So we just want to go ahead and thank everybody for tuning in. Um, this is our debut episode. It's raw and it's it's young and it's dirty and it's beautiful and it's um, very much just like an unfiltered, still unedited conversation. Um, <laughs> and I'm just so grateful that I'm so grateful to you, Sydney, that you put in the work to read this. And I, I, I have to celebrate all the wonderful work you did because you orchestrated the discussion beautifully. And um, and I'm just so excited to to to, you know, give you give you give you a breather for next time. Let you listen Yay. to my stories and um, and then take things from there. So awesome. Sounds great. I'm excited to hear it. Tune in next time, folks, and we will bring you the much anticipated by me <laughs> story of uh, time storms. Time storms. Time storms. Time storms. That's it for today's feast. Thank you for dining with us. Hold your cosmic appetites for next time. And reach out to us on Twitter and follow us on Instagram at Cosmic Feast. 